All right. We are back, and we're already on season three, which is wild to me. I feel like this podcast literally just started. But I'm so stoked for this season. We have some awesome guests planned, including episodes on cannabis and exercise, the science of DMT, political advocacy, cannabis metabolism, cannabis breastfeeding, and more. The list of the full guests will be on the Patreon page if you're interested in checking that out. Speaking of Patreon, thank you so much to the patrons of this podcast. You're seriously what make it possible. You can join that community for as little as $1 a month, and it allows you to ask guest questions ahead of time, send me any personal DMs, and we can have a conversation there, and some exclusive content. I'm really excited for this episode today because... It really dives into the general state of the cannabis industry, how crazy it is kind of working in this industry. Chase, the guest who's on today, has worked in the industry much longer than I have, and he's worn many different hats. Chase recently launched a natural product company where he has adaptogenic supplements. We're going to talk about that, and we're also going to talk about creativity, poetry, and so much more. So I'm so glad you're here in 2024 listening to this podcast. And as always, if you have guest recommendations or if you have topic recommendations, you just want to reach out to me or you want to submit poetry, head over to bioactivepodcast.com and you can do all of that right on the website along with get some additional resources like recipes that I mentioned for elderberry and other products and resources for things like testimonials and political advocacy. So head there for that, but thanks for coming along and welcome back to Bioactive. Welcome back to the Bioactive Podcast. Today we have Chase Huff on. And Chase, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. And I have read, you've done so many different things with your career. And I'm just kind of excited to learn a little bit of what you've done, what you're currently doing, what you're going to do in the future. And then I think we can also talk about poetry at the end, because that's what really made me want to talk to you is we were DMing on Instagram and you mentioned that you also write poetry. And if anyone's been to to my webpage, bioactivepodcast.com, I upload a haiku like almost every day with an AI generated image from that haiku. And I think poetry is just like the most beautiful thing in the world, whatever form that takes uh, in for whatever you like doing. But if you want to just give a little bit of background and then we'll get into the conversation and vibe from there. Totally. Yeah. So I've been a consumer and advocate of cannabis since gosh, almost 20 years now, since I was 14. Um, I think for me, one of the I think originally I got into it as like an act of rebellion, um, you know, as most teenagers probably do. But um, I think for me, I really saw the medicinal value in I've always had a sensitive stomach and cannabis is just like the best medicine for an upset stomach. So I think for me, that was where I really realized like there's more to this. Um, and then so my my education is in I have a bachelor's of science in molecular cell biology and biotechnology. Um, and a minor in business administration. And um, I've been, I mean, I've been selling weed for years, like in Florida, I was selling weed for a long time, you know, not moving major weight, but always, you know, if, if a friend needed a bag, they knew where to come. So, um, so I'd been around cannabis for a long time, super familiar with different strains. I had seen all different kinds of stuff from all over the place. 
because uh, a lot of it probably wasn't being grown in Florida. I think a lot of it was coming in from California. And then I had worked at a ski resort in Colorado before college and decided to go back after college. Um, and I went to school at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, so no snowboarding in Florida. Uh, so I went back to Colorado after college to go work at another ski resort and then moved to Denver. And this was um, 2014 when legalization had just happened. And so things were kind of just getting going. And um, I actually, I was looking at going to get a master's at the University of Colorado, Denver. Um, and at, in the meantime, I was doing an internship at a uh, place called The Grow House, which their mission is kind of to provide food to what is kind of a, a food desert in that area. There's not a whole lot okay. of grocery stores yeah. and places to get food, right? So people are eating from 7-Eleven, you know, not healthy. Right, and unhealthy food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Garbage, yeah. So um, so their mission, they have a, a greenhouse for hydroponics and aquaponics. And I was interested in that at the time. I'd done, you know, plenty of gardening before. And so I was interning there and the guy running the internship, who was also from Florida, um, he was growing weed at his house and so I started doing some work with him, helping him with harvesting and trimming and stuff like that and kind of learning the basics of cultivation. Um, and he was really the one that inspired me to get in the industry because he was like, hey, you know, there's like cannabis science, right? And I was like, no, because <laughs> I mean, this was so Tell early on, you know? this yeah. was 2014. Yeah. So I was like, OK, what do you mean? So, you know, at the time I only thought, well, if you're going to work in the industry, you're either like in retail or you're like a person who's been growing in their basement for years. Right. Yeah. So I didn't really see a path until he really kind of opened my eyes to that. And I started learning more about, okay, well, there's extraction and there's, you know, these various different aspects, testing and whatnot. Um, and so I actually landed my first job in cannabis doing tissue culture, you know, using that molecular cell biology background um, for Native Roots, who's one of the biggest cannabis companies in Colorado. Um, I was, you know, so they had a, a lab at the time I came in and was working there and kind of really took over the research aspect from the consultant who set up the lab initially Cool. Um, I managed that lab for a year and a half. Um, from there, I got introduced to a group who was interested in tissue culture, but they needed to get their hemp extraction going first. They were interested in tissue culture for hemp genetics. Um, and this was in 2016. So this was before like hemp extraction was even like happening in Colorado yet. So we were actually doing our initial R&D with hemp pellets from Europe. Um, mm. so we had to throw them in the hammer mill and grind them up, uh, sift all the fiber out. They were like two to 3% CBD. It was <laughs> probably the juice probably wasn't worth the squeeze, but you know, that's how we got started with the R and D while we were, um, waiting for the farmers and for the, you know, first hemp farmers in Colorado to pull down their first harvest. So, um, so we were, you know, and this was before you could buy like an off-the-shelf ethanol extraction system for cannabis, right? So there was no Entex, there was no Delta. It was um, we had brought the guys I was working with had come from North Carolina and brought a biodiesel extractor, uh, thinking, okay, well maybe this will work. It's similar, right? We're extracting oil. Um, it actually wasn't great because it used hydrodynamic cavitation, which is a really rough form of extraction. One, it produces heat. Which yeah, I'm like, I have made... no idea what that means. Hydrodynamic yeah, so extraction. Am I saying that right? Hydrodynamic cavitation. Oh, cavitation. Um, so okay. It's, yeah, it's, all, it's like a like a bubbling that ruptures the cells open. Okay. Um, but the yeah, so the problem with that was it created heat, 
And as many of your listeners might know, we want to extract using cold temperatures, right? So we can avoid the fats and waxes and the chlorophylls. So that crude was, (laughs) was very crude because it ruptured the cells. It really released all the stuff we didn't want. Everything. everything. I can't imagine. Was that extract like brown, like really, really dark? It was dark. Black. Black. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So, and then part of my job was to, so I I came on board there, helped them. Wait, wait, wait. I have have one more question. Did you um, try that product, like that that type of extract? And did you notice it was different at all compared to a different I mean, type I did, of extract? I didn't dab it, but I definitely ate some. Um, okay. But again, this was CBD. So, and this sometimes, was like- Sometimes you can feel a little different from CBD. I didn't know if it was like some sort of unique experience at all, but sounds like oh, no. Oh, you can definitely feel, yeah, when you eat enough CBD for sure. Exactly. I, I think at this time, since CBD was so new- I don't know that I really even knew what to expect taking it. So it was like, gotcha, am yeah. I feeling this? I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, and maybe- it's like 3 PM and you've had three coffees and you know, right. a dab and you're like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess I feel different. Funny story though. And so, so building out, so the crude was super crude, right? It had all this fats and waxes and chlorophylls in it. So part of my job was to build out the uh, post extraction processing. So the winterization, the decarb, the distillation, um, and we brought in we a Root Sciences VTA distillation unit. And this was the first one to ever be sold to a hemp company. So I was the first person to distill CBD oil in it, but also an ethanol extract, because up until that point, they had only distilled a hydrocarbon extract in it. Mm. So we had to dial in all of our parameters and really figure out, you know, we had kind of the baseline of what they were doing for THC and a hydrocarbon extract. But we had to dial in all the parameters and figure out Okay, what's going to really get us, you know, high potency CBD distillate? Um, and funny story is because typically at a you know a THC facility you can't consume on site. Right. Well, they were the guys from Root Sciences, uh, Corey and Foddy, when they came out, they were like, "Can we get a video of someone taking a dab straight from the machine?" <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I volunteered. And yeah, fine, went, I'll do it. <laughs> right. So they went and bought a rig. And we're firing, you know, heating up the nail and everything. And then we just let it drip out of the distillation, uh, out of the white film evaporator into the nail. And it was rough. <laughs> those uh, those hat turps definitely killed my throat, but it was, you know, it was for science. So. Worth it. Worth it. That is a crazy <laughs> story. So, yeah, I mean, you're not even done your story and you've already explained like, you know, 10 different yeah, things that you've done within the industry <laughs> and, and related. But, you know, keep going. And if not, I have so many questions already. Totally. Whichever you um, yeah, I mean, and fire away with the questions, too. I'm happy to answer those well, as we go. But yeah, I'm going to ask one question and then definitely continue on. But you mentioned that part of what really resonated with you about cannabis, it's not just the, uh, you know, recreational component of like partying, having a good time, but you noticed it made your stomach feel a lot better. I'm just curious how like your relationship with that and experimenting with that and how you started to learn about these different molecules in cannabis and how it interacts with the body and like really curating your experience, how that's kind of changed as your education on the plant has changed. Like, do you now choose different consumption methods, different doses, different terpenes or cannabinoids? Like, has your thought about that change or is it still just like weed in general helps my stomach and I'm going to keep using it? Part of the reason why I bring this up is we have a lot of data on cannabinoid receptors in the gut, specifically the cannabinoid 2 receptors or CB2 receptors. 
We have data from both the community and from peer-reviewed literature that cannabis helps people with IBS, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, etc. So not only do many of the compounds present in the cannabis plant have anti-inflammatory potential, which can absolutely help inflamed guts, but the gut is also lined with these CB2 receptors. So products that contain compounds that activate these receptors can be really good for your gut if you have chronic gut issues. So products that contain the cannabinoid THCV, which is a partial agonist on the CB2 receptor, and products that contain beta-caryophylline, which is a terpene that is an agonist on the CB2 receptor, have been really helpful for people suffering from gut issues. Yeah, I mean, I think just in general, you know, I'm still still using it. I mean, I still smoke flowers, probably my preferred method, um, yeah. or you know, rosin dabs or a rosin vape. Um, I do really like, especially with edibles, I like CBD, uh, THC, like one-to-ones. Um, yeah. like I have some right now that are one-to-ones which I think just uh, a little more, a little bit more of a mellow feel yeah. um, in terms of the stomach thing, you know, it's funny because before Delta eight became, you know, the new T the new Delta nine that's in all the States that aren't legal. Um, I remember reading about how it had really promising effects for, as an anti-emetic, right. So for dealing with stomach pain and, and vomiting. Yeah. Um, so I was like, Oh, that's really cool. I'd love to try that. Um, I mean, I have tried some Delta eight, but you know, not that I've, I haven't noticed that kind of a difference really. And well, Delta yeah, nine, we have that data for it too. It's like, you know, if it's close in structure to Delta nine THC, it probably does help with nausea and vomiting. And like, that's one of the reasons it's like medical use is so high, especially with chemotherapy and with right. cancer and these different conditions. Anyone who's even ever been hung over, like, have you smoked weed? It definitely helps. Like you can tell that it's anti-emetic in that way. And it's funny because I saw your videos recently on taking a tea break and anytime I'm on a tea break and I drink, I'm like, how does anybody deal with a hangover without smoking weed? I don't get it. I don't. Oh my I God. Just... That actually bothered me so much. I've, I'm seeing these different influencers on social media talking about these tea breaks and they're like, well, I, like I can't use cannabis, so I'm just going to start drinking. And I'm like, do we, do we consider this like a healthy alternative to smoking? I mean, I drink too. I'm just saying like, what's the point of a of a tea break if you're just gonna drink to compensate for the feelings from your tea break i feel like that's right right more more damaging to your body but i I'm, gotta say i'm kind of guilty of that myself personally <laughs> but um i've been cutting back on my cannabis consumption actually quite a bit lately like and like 2024 or like in general um, in the last month or so i'd say yeah but really in the last i'd say like three to four months just not consuming as much as i was i mean i'm i'm pretty much a daily consumer, but it's usually more in the evenings. Like I usually don't consume in the morning or when I have stuff to do, but like, if it's a day off and going snowboarding or something like, yeah, fire one up first thing in the morning, but. Um. Yeah. I've, I've kind of cut back a bit too. I mean, I still, I use cannabis probably for the first time around like 1 PM now, instead of like in the morning. And I try to save it for right when like I have something creative to do, whether it's creating marketing materials or even like some sort of creating right creative writing it's something to kind of look forward to towards the end of the day to like kind of get that flow going but also to enjoy yourself while you do it but I'm not always a morning smoker either it's just some some days it goes really really well and then some days it doesn't go as well and you're like yeah, sometimes mm. it wrecks me <laughs> yeah so you got you got to choose the days wisely and look at your calendar for sure <laughs> I want to see a study on why does cannabis hit so much harder in the morning 
Oh, we know this. Oh, we do. Okay. Yeah, uh... we do know this. So it has to do with the levels of your circulating endogenous cannabinoids. So in in the morning, your levels are really low. So there's really nothing competing for your receptors in your brain. So when you smoke, they're like, beelining it to those receptors and you're going to feel high and a lot of them are going to be able to bind to those receptors whereas later in the day say noon or two o'clock four o'clock you're producing more of those endogenous molecules so there's more competition for that receptor site so not as many of them bind and not as quickly so you don't feel that wicked heavy hitting you also are a bit dehydrated in the morning which don't forget that and many people also have less other substances in their body which may be uh, influencing that feeling. Ah, that's interesting. I wonder if that's similar to like, I feel like when I, you know, cannabis can induce, uh, you know, anxiety for some people, certainly for me sometimes. And yeah, I notice that if I've worked out or had some kind of physical activity, then I'm way less likely to have that anxiety induced from cannabis. So I wonder if that has something to do with it too. Like the runner's high, right. Is an endocannabinoid release endogenous cannabinoid. So I wonder Absolutely. And and that's such a good, that's such a, I actually haven't heard of it really talked about in that context as like an anti-anxiety, like preventative. Um, But it would make sense because the way your endocannabinoids are binding to those receptors are a bit different compared to like THC and the other compounds in the plant. So you think that would be kind of protective in some way from releasing like too many of those molecules at once um, and you're just like kind of dampening the effects. That's really interesting. Right. Like some of the receptors are already bound. And so when you then smoke, you're not just getting annihilated, right? You're not just like instantly getting hit with so much Delta nine. Yes. Um, yeah. And and just like diverse extracts in general, I mean, your preference alone kind of is explaining that, you know, rosin and flour are these two types of extracts that have so many different molecules in them. They, they're very chemo diverse, as Miyabi and I would say. And right. that that's kind of protective, too, for your brain of having some molecules that can be anti-anxiety instead of just Delta 9 THC that's like boom, 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 boom on your brain. And it can be really overwhelming. Like I get anxiety from too much THC too sometimes. And it's like, okay, that was the wrong dose or that was the wrong product or wrong time of day. Like you definitely have to learn from that in some way to, (laughs) so you're not anxious every time you consume. There's so many variables. And I think, uh, I think it was Max Montrose who said this. I really liked this analogy. It was that Delta nine, like THC is like the engine of the car and the terpenes are like the steering wheel. Love that. I love Max in general. Yeah, Yeah, he's awesome. He creates some awesome content for sure. But I love that analogy. Um, Somebody was talking about distillate uh, vape carts compared to something like rosin. And they said that distillate feels hollow. And I was like... Yeah, mm-hmm. like I, I feel that too. Whereas like a rosin's like all encompassing and this like really unique experience. Like distillate does feel a bit hollow, but that's why it also is helpful for some people to have like a predictable daytime high. For I know a lot of people who work very well just using distillate as almost like an Adderall substitute for their brain. Um, so again, to each their own, but it's cool just hearing these different stories, these different brains and how these different products help them in their everyday life. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too, in terms of the distillate versus rosin, right? Because, I mean, if you're vaping rosin during the day, you're probably going to be a lot more high and maybe not quite as functional, right? Whereas I think they all have their their place. They're all kind of, I mean, I look at plant medicine or drugs in general as like they're all tools, right? So it's like, what are you trying to achieve, you know, and then pick your tool. So 
I mean, exactly. I think that's really, you know, the, the way to look at it. I know. And, and that's like, I choose so, I have so many different consumption methods and doses and product types. And of course, that's also a product of like, yeah, I'm in the weed industry. Like I get cool stuff. I have cool stuff. I have the ability to use all these different things. Um, but even if you were just comparing like smoking and edibles, like those are two very different tools. Like I use oh, yeah. those two consumption methods completely differently. And I think Me many too. people do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But everyone also, hydroxy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, you know? it's, it's hard hitting for sure. Edibles. Oh, but anyway, what were we talking about? Um, um oh. I mean, I could, I could kind of go back into just my, my journey in this industry here. Cause it's yeah, been, keep going. been almost 10 years and it's been a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. So, so the hemp extraction thing, you know, I've seen, so the downfall of that was uh, owner's not seeing eye to eye anymore and then basically go in their separate ways, which then, you know, you can't put any more capital into the business when you need it, stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, so from there I moved on and got into consulting. Um, I had a, a mentor of mine, actually the guy who hired me into the tissue culture lab initially, who was consulting on that project, brought me under his wing, uh, Micah Gross, you're the man. Um, but yeah, he was really like a mentor for me and taught me a lot. Um, and then, so I was doing that for a little while at the same time, got into doing hydrocarbon extraction and this was still out in Colorado. Um, so I was doing hydrocarbon extraction, mainly like toll processing for different growers and dispensaries. Um, and then had an opportunity to move out to California where I live now, um, to start a tissue culture lab and nursery. Um, you know, we partnered with some guys on the finance side who were, uh, kind of your typical cannabis shady characters. So we ended up parting ways with them. That just didn't really pan out. I mean, I guess when you raise money from your friends and family, but you're blowing it on, you know, living in mansions in Palm Springs with a private chef, it's, uh, that, that money is, goes pretty quick. <laughs> that is not the first time I've heard a story like that in this industry. Like it's unfortunately low key kind of common. I've got, yeah, I'm not, I, I know I have a few of those stories personally, and I know other people that do too. So I've been telling some of my friends, some industry friends, I'm like, we need to get together and write a book about all the ridiculous shit that we've seen. <laughs> and like, cause It'd I, be I mean, interesting it's, for yeah. sure. Um, so yeah, so came out to California to do that. Um, you know, walked away from that and then started consulting again. Um, had an opportunity to go back to Colorado and, uh, design and manage extraction labs for a company that was doing hemp and cannabis. Well, when I got there, <laughs> they were like, well, we don't have the funding right now to build the lab, but we really need someone to manage our cultivation, our cannabis cultivation facility. They had like a 1400 acre hemp farm and then two, uh, can two cannabis greenhouses that were like a total of 16,000 square foot of canopy. Um, so, you know, cultivation, not really my forte, but I knew enough to be dangerous and to, you know, knew how to manage people. So I got in there and helped them turn the grow around. It was like the most powdery mildew covered grow oh. I'd ever seen in my life. It was like powdered sugar on donuts. It was, Oh God. Oh, it was ugly. Um, so yeah, so, so did that for a while and helped them out and then helped them with their, uh, hemp extraction lab design. And then at that point I got an offer to come back to California to be the director of manufacturing for a uh, con cannabis contract manufacturing facility in Desert Hot Springs. Um, so we were making everything from, you know, hash, rosin, pre-rolls, edibles, vapes, 
packaged concentrates and doing all the finished packaging and distribution. Um, so that was a 30,000 square foot facility. I had a team of about 60 to 70 people. Um, it was a lot. <laughs> it was yeah, awesome, wow. but it was a lot for sure. So, um, so yeah, so kind of a lot of my career has been kind of back and forth between the tissue culture side of things and the extraction and product manufacturing side of things. Um, but we you know with some cultivation, everything sprinkled in there. So I pretty much had my hands on every part of production. Um, so it's been, been really good. And that's something that I would tell a lot of people who are looking to get in the industry, like, you know, get in and just try to learn as much as you can, you know, take a, advantage of opportunities, you know, try this, try that, figure out what you like best, what works for you, what you're good at. Um, cause there's a lot of different roles, right? And so depending on what people's backgrounds are too, they might fit into a better position than others. Um, you know, I see this a lot. I see a lot of people wanting to get into cultivation um, because they think it's gonna be cool and they wanna work with the plants, but they don't really have a relevant background and then they get into it and they're like, man, this is a lot of work. I think I'm over it. <laughs> it's Farming is farming and it's not easy and it is a lot of laborious work. And I, I don't and, think and the industry has that. like additional barriers, like farmers in general have it difficult and the legal weed industry has it extremely difficult with the rules and regulations. Everything's yeah. always changing. Every state's different. There's like, there's so many variables, but I would definitely agree. Like, you know, especially if you don't, if you don't have like a calling passion of like, I want to do this in the industry, try different things out. Like once you're in the industry and you have that on your resume, it's a lot easier to kind of work around and network and talk to different people and go to these events. And, but, you know, getting in, I think is probably the the harder part, but there's a lot of openings with, I think in most States. Yeah. And, it, and there was, I feel like at least, you know, California, Colorado, things are definitely becoming a little tighter as we see more market consolidation and yeah. companies going out of business and, um, you know, just the market being so saturated. I mean, California has been a mess the last you know year or two. I don't, I don't yeah. know how much, how much you know about it, but just with the issues of, you know, distributors not paying brands and then brands not paying contract manufacturers, like the company I was working for and that ended up being a big problem. So. Yeah. It, so it sounds like a mess. I mean, I'm East coast, so I'm a little less, um, you know, attached and in that scene, but obviously from what I've heard from other people, it doesn't sound like a great place right now, but we still have time to turn everything around. It's, you know, we'll worry about that, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's just like the nature of a new market, right? Exactly. So it's fluctuating. It's it ebbs and flows. Totally. Exactly. So I think, uh, I think if anything, it's just kind of like a warning to other states. Like, hey, you're probably going to see this happen eventually. Um, yeah. At least in the more free market states. Now, the states like Illinois and Florida that are a little more restricted and a little more kind of owned by the MSOs, not so much because they don't have a whole lot of competition. But yeah, um, that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. So when did you start um, really exploring with other natural products uh, beyond cannabis? Was this kind of simultaneously through that journey? Or, you know, where did like natural products, adaptogens, when did these kind of, I think I saw some, some pictures on your page of like foraging or just like different mushrooms in general, just what was that experience like comparing the effects, the medicinal effects of cannabis to these other profound natural products that maybe get a little less attention, but have so many different medicinal benefits and a lot that are, you know, documented in these peer reviewed studies. 
Oh yeah. There's tons of research on, you know, the whole natural nootropics and adaptogen space. Um, I think for me, like I've been into, you know, just trying to eat healthy and take care of my body for a while now. And uh, so that's kind of how I got introduced to it. I've always been, you know, ironically having a background in molecular cell biology, I could have gotten into the, you know, the pharma world, but just didn't really resonate with me. Um, and I've always just preferred, you know, natural options. And so I've kind of just been into taking supplements in general. Um, and then I'd say like four years ago or so, I kind of saw, well, at first I, first I tried a mushroom coffee, a lion's mane mushroom coffee. If you want to learn more about the chemistry and pharmacology of lion's mane, check out episode 13 with Jake, where I talk about foraging for lion's mane and some of the benefits for your brain. Um, and I was like, okay, I, I see the difference. Like I yeah. definitely noticed, um, and mm -hmm. we'll get into that here in a minute as I talk about flow state naturals. Um, but, but yeah, so I'm pretty sensitive to caffeine and coffee just gets me super wired and jittery. And yeah. I tried this mushroom coffee and I was like, oh, I feel like really dialed in right now. Um, and I could also tell like a few hours later when it wore off too, it was like, interesting feeling yeah. it and then it was like oh there it goes it's gone um and that's actually so, it's like the best thing to get people to actually use natural products or products in general is like a a notable change in how you feel which sounds so like obvious but that's why we love caffeine that's why we love nicotine that's why we love thc like it's so notable and there's so many bioactive substances that have an effect on our body in some way and it's very medicinal whether it's an antioxidant anti-inflammatory whatever it is it can have so many benefits but if we don't feel that in our brain we're kind of like mm, you know maybe i'll take that again maybe i won't so it, when you feel something in your brain i feel like that increases the likelihood that people take these supplements because they think it is corresponding to a biochemical process which it is and even if in my opinion, with natural products, sometimes you don't necessarily feel them working. But if you start building a routine, you will feel differently when you don't take them, which is a little bit harder to explain. But that's also like the basis of preventative medicine. And a lot of like Ayurvedic medicine is is kind of having that routine and using things uh, throughout time. 100%. Yeah, I think when you're not like when you can't consciously feel that change. Yeah. People are like, ah, did I even feel that? Is that, you know, sometimes CBD can be like that too. It's like CBD. I, getting, oh, I was just going to say it. CBD am I getting the, the effect? Um, but yeah, but, but I think you make a great point. It's about the pre prevention of things, but also there's a lot of things happening from these substances that aren't, you know, you're not conscious of, but it's happening and it's helping you. And, and again, a lot of adaptogens too, they do show that you know, it does take some time for you to get those benefits. Um, Can you describe adaptogens and nootropics just in case totally. the audience hasn't heard these words before? Maybe they've seen it in marketing, but like don't really know what it means. Yeah, 100%. So, um, so I guess to kind of expand on that too. So I've been in cannabis for about a decade, but I recently this last year launched a nootropic adaptogenic supplement company called Flow State Naturals. Um, and so a nootropic is a cognitive enhancing supplement, essentially. It's going to help with cognitive function, helps you, you know, think faster, have better memory recall, um, just kind of helps clear out that brain fog. And then adaptogens are substances that increase our nonspecific resistance to stress. 
Um, and so it's actually, there's a lot of research on adaptogens too, in terms of how they affect different um, uh, molecular pathways in the body. And essentially what some of the research has shown is that they often upregulate the production of uh, heat shock proteins. And so they, so that essentially allows for you to have more ATP uh, production. And it also um, essentially decreases the production of cortisol and nitric oxide and some of these stress signaling molecules in the cells. And so, um, so adaptogens basically mitigate stress fatigue. Um, and so, and actually I've got these here. So this is my focus and flow product uh, for energy focus and uh, memory and just uh, mood elevation, essentially um, mental clarity. And this is relax and restore. Uh, I love good the for logo. inflammation and anxiety. Oh, thank you. Um, so yeah, so they're both blends of functional mushroom and adaptogenic herb extracts. Um, and so, you know, I noticed like, like you said, it's when you don't take it that you notice the difference. So for me, like when I, I, I take focus and flow probably five times a week. Um, and when I don't take it, I massively notice a difference. Like I just am not as sharp. Um, and so I have it's, it's lion's mane. And is there other fungi in it or what, yeah. what are the ingredients? Yeah. So this one's lion's mane, cordyceps and shiitake mushroom cool. extracts. And I use dual extracts. So extracted with alcohol and hot water, they're fruiting body extracts. What a lot of people don't realize is a lot of these products that are selling you a mushroom product are selling you mycelium on grain. So you're basically buying expensive brown rice or oat powder. Um, and I spend top dollar on my mushroom ingredients. <laughs> so, so, so that's, that's really, really important, um, to talk about because well, you're talking about the fruiting body, which is in our head. If you picture a mushroom, you're picturing a fruiting body of yeah. a mushroom. And then the mycelium is like the roots that are kind of like growing this fruiting body. Right. So if you just think conceptually, just like a plant or just like Actually, let's just focus on a plant, right? The above ground things are producing completely different molecules because they need to protect that plant or that fungus in the case that you're talking about from the stressors of the environment, which are so different than what a, you know, soil type component of a plant or a microbe would have to produce. Mm -hmm. So when these different companies are selling you these other types of extracts of the mushroom mycelium, you're not getting all of these beneficial secondary metabolites that are present in the fruiting body or in our analogy here or in the rest of the plant. So it's definitely some uh, verbiage to look for. And in the case of uh, different fungi, like um, chaga is a good example of this. There's an additional layer of this. It's called the sclerotia. And the sclerotia uh -huh. is like the outer, outer part of chaga that protects it from uh, the sun and the environment. And it's like pitch black. Um, so these are just like terminology that you want to look for when you're buying mushroom supplements to make sure you're getting a quality product and you're not just buying some random extract of rice for, you know, $100. So just to well, get it, the most out of it. <laughs> yeah, most of the time it's not even extracted. They just take the mycelium grown on the brown rice or oats and they just grind that up and they tell you that it's a mushroom product. And so uh, when you think about how much of that actual mass is just brown rice or oats, you're kind of getting ripped off and you can tell when you look at the ingredients on some of these products, it'll say in like the other ingredients aspect or list, it'll say brown rice or oats or like myceliated brown rice. Um, so that's something to look out for. Um, and back to the chaga though, speaking of black, I have chaga and reishi in this one and the chaga extract is black. <laughs> it is. I, black. I make a chaga extract too. And oh, I cool. love, 
I love working with it. I actually, I actually tried to make a chaga topical one time, and I actually have a video about this on the internet somewhere. I tried to make a, a chaga topical, and I have very fair skin, very fair skin. So I was like, "Is this gonna dye my skin a different color?" Because <laughs> I was just like, "I'm curious." So I just made this topical, and I lathered it on my skin, and it turned it like orange, like, and then. <laughs> And it was on my socks. It was on my sheets. It was on my carpet. It was on like everything. So I think if you're making a chaga topical, uh, maybe staying a little bit away from the sclerotia or the rest of the, you know, of the colored molecules might be a good topical. But that's just a fun, fun side <laughs> story of me experimenting with chaga. <laughs> that's It's all about the experimentation. I mean, that's how I came up with with my formulations here. And, and yeah, I guess tell that's me more about when- that. That's why I wanted to say that's probably when you realize that that's not a viable product at that point, right? You were like, yeah, nobody wants this getting all over their stuff. <laughs> well, right. I made the video and everyone's like, I want to buy that as a self tanner. And I'm like, you don't, you don't want to buy this as a self tanner. Like this is a mess. This is an absolute yeah. disaster. It gets on, and it stains. It like gets on everything. It's like stains. turmeric, turmeric extract. Um, that's, I have that in, in this product and yeah, it's just stains everything Um, i've actually used turmeric as a dye on clothing and it's a beautiful dye but only in that form like you don't want to dye the clothes that you don't want to dye so right or your countertops your floors your walls or cutting boards yeah like everything (laughs) um but yeah back to the formulation um so yeah so i had started uh i had the mushroom coffee great experience i was like okay i want to you know, start dabbling more into this. So I started doing more research, trying some different functional mushrooms. Um, and I kind of realized too, you know, that these things were gaining popularity. And I realized that all my skill sets really transfer into mushroom production too, yeah. you know, the cultivation, tissue culture, extraction, product manufacturing. And so I started looking at kind of getting into that world, um, made some connections in that space. That's actually how I met my supplier for my mushroom ingredients um, and learned a lot about the difference in the, you know, myceliated grain versus actual fruiting body extracts and dual extracts. And um, so, yeah, so I started experimenting with stuff myself. And really the catalyst for that was I came to realize that coffee was giving me major anxiety major Mm. anxiety. I was super sick of feeling jittery of having my stomach upset by it. Just, just, I would be so anxious, especially cannabis and coffee, you know, the hippie speedball. I know some people love it, but I love it. But I see why I see why people would get anxiety. Like my heart is like palpitating and I can tell, I can tell somebody else would have anxiety right now. And thank God my brain's like not in that state right now. But like, I can tell when people would have an anxiety attack over whatever I'm putting in my body. (laughs) It's so, it's so true though. And so for me, I was like, all right, I can't do this anymore. I want something that's caffeine free or like, you know, at least a coffee alternative, but Um, So I started experimenting with different stuff, doing research on just different natural products that would kind of fit the bill there, Um, doing like pulling up white papers and reading about effective dosages from different studies. Um, And so that's really kind of where I came up with the like uh, amounts in my formulas. And then I also like I I got sick of having to open like 14 different packages of all these different things. So I was like, I want to do a blend. Um, I want it to be convenient in capsules. You know, I don't. I know everybody's like doing the drink thing to actually replace coffee as a drink, but you know, you gotta, 
blend so it we, up and it's can, and it can we talk about good. that though because this, yeah, this totally. is actually this is actually my issue with those types of supplements because people have sent me them people have you know sworn by them and they put them in their coffee every day and my issue with that is you're only getting the water extracted molecules you're not getting the the more lipophilic molecules that you would get from an organic solvent like alcohol or something else along those lines so when you have you're not getting that dual extraction so you're only getting best case scenario half of those medicinal molecules uh but uh -huh. in many cases you're missing many more than half of the medicinal molecules so in my opinion the especially with medicinal mushrooms the dual extracts are what we're looking for uh because then we get the entire suite of those beneficial compounds and not just the ones that are extracted relatively quickly in hot water yeah absolutely because i mean when you look at um, a lot of these mushrooms have triterpenoids, right? As, as yeah. you know, in cannabis, they are not soluble in water. So, and those are really the uh, compounds that give a lot of these mushrooms their anti-cancer properties too. So a lot of the health benefits, which, you know, you look at lion's mane and cordyceps and yes, they're going to help, um, you know, cognitive function and, you know, energy and stamina. But again, these mushrooms all have like a have um, beta glucans and they have different triterpenoids that have anti-cancer properties and other immune supporting properties. So it's not like you're just taking them for the, you know, energy or mental clarity. It's like, wow, there's actual a ton of different health benefits to taking these. And so and, if you're not buying and, a dual extract, you're losing out big time. Right. And, and the, the triterpenoids are also very well known for their anti-inflammatory compounds in there. Like yeah. uh, again, going back to chaga, because <laughs> I studied this, I studied this in the lab during grad school. So I know way too much about chaga, oh, but cool. yeah, but um, it also produces a steroid compound called anatodiol because the scientific name of chaga is anatodis obliquus. And anatodiol is kind of similar to like cannabidiol, CBD, as far as like structure and the, the medicinal potential of it. So I just like, you do need, if you want that full suite of benefits, you, you got to have the dual extract for sure. So I love that that's the, the form that your products are in. Yeah. And I think it's a big part of why my products are really effective too. Um, you know, I feel it a lot more than if I take other mushroom supplements. Um, and I've got a lot of friends who friends and family, well, you know, I first, when I started experimenting and I was like, I think I got, I think I'm onto something here. I started sending it to friends and family. Like, let me know what you think. And people were like, Hey, when can I get more of that stuff? And I was like, Oh, okay, such a well. good feeling. Such a good <laughs> yeah. feeling. That's awesome. People were like, oh, dude, you're onto something. When can I get some more of this? And I was like, uh, well, I only made so much. So <laughs> let me yeah, get but, back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what better motivation than people being like, Hey, like that was rad. Can I get more of that? And it's like, wow, people love this and it's helping people. Absolutely. I think it's, oh, yeah, it's, it's been such a motivator because for me, like I started that, I guess. Yeah. Like three years ago now. And it went on the back burner when I came back to California. Um, and I was just so busy with my job. It was super stressful. And I pretty much just had my own like uh, personal stash. And I noticed a huge difference at work. Like I would just be able to get there again, the adaptogens, basically increasing your ability to withstand stress. Um, I would be able to just get through my stressful work days way easier, just knocking off stuff off the to-do list, 
um, not being stressed about it and just having more stuff get stacked on my plate every day. Like, I mean, my former coworkers would tell you that my days were crazy. <laughs> like most people I talked to, who, like I met a guy recently who was like, oh yeah, I came by, I was trying to sell you guys some services and you were running around all over the place doing this and that. And I'm like, yeah, I know that's because that's how my days were. And it just made such a big difference in getting through my days. And then, um, so I was like, and I started, you know, giving some to people again and had people be like, all right, I want to buy some. So I started making more. And that's when I was like, every time somebody would be like, man, I love this stuff. When can I get more? I'd be like, all right, I got to actually like start, you know, turning this into a business and making a product. So, so that that's been the motivator and it's, it's been awesome. Um, I officially launched at the end of September last year. So it's been a few months. Cool. Um, so I'm just trying to tackle the beast that is digital marketing right now. <laughs> oh, well, you've done the hardest part of actually like getting a product out there, but digital marketing is another beast in itself. Oh my gosh. Especially, and I feel like the natural products realm, it's really difficult. Obviously like the CBD realm is a different beast in itself, but with natural products too, um, there's, there's just like a lot of bs going around mm -hmm. and a lot of companies that maybe aren't making the best product have massive marketing teams that are making kind of these egregious claims and you're like man like i wish these like smaller companies that make better products had the same marketing team because you wonder <laughs> how that would affect it but i also wanted to say one yeah. thing about um adaptogens in general like before i really was using natural products like every day as part of my lifestyle like years ago the word adaptogen like really bothered me <laughs> and it, it bothered me because I thought it was just kind of lacking science. Like we were just saying like, hey, it makes you feel better. Like it helps you adapt. And like that annoyed me as a scientist because I'm like, like, what is that quantifiable? But then it's like you really start to dig into cannabis as medicine. I think cannabis is the best adaptogen because of the ECS of the way it, mm. I think that I, I would say, I guess the ECS is the best way of adapting and being resilient. And that's really what adaptogens are. They're increasing your resiliency, whether that's to um, free radical damage and you're increasing your antioxidant potential through these natural products or you're suppressing inflammation or cortisol levels and stress like that does have so much scientific rationale. It's just very difficult to like communicate that complexity with a word. And that's why you need a vague word like adaptogen. It's helping you adapt. It's helping your body be resilient. So just for listeners, like if anybody was was curious about the word adaptogen, like I, I think there is a lot of scientific backing to that word and nootropics as well as something I was also a little bit hesitant about. And then you read the science on lion's mane and these other heresium species and you're like, yep, that's definitely helping your brain health. Like that is absolutely a nootropic. So I, I think that was a great um, definition that you gave earlier that really leaned into the science as well, talking about these cortisol levels and talking about these heat shock proteins, just kind of like really diving into the science so that maybe people can, you know, understand what's happening in their body. I'll send you that white paper. I think you'd really yeah. enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it kind of, I think you need kind of the vague term because again, you know, sort of the definition, at least in, in this white paper and other ones I've seen is that it induces non-specific resilience or resistance to stress. Yeah. So it's like, it's not like you're getting this one mode of, you know, this one mode of action in your body from taking one or the other adaptogen. It's like there's, and I think also too, it's, 
that, you know, you take this adaptogen like an herbal extract, there's not just one active compound. There's many bioactive compounds, right? So, nice. so again, and that's where I look at like my product as something that's like a full spectrum product, similar to yeah. cannabis being, you know, full spectrum products versus like a distillate or an yep. isolate. Um, you know, my products are, my supplements are herbal and functional mushroom extracts having the host of different compounds. I think the only isolate I use is the L-theanine as an isolate, but everything yeah. else is, is a full spectrum extract. So. Right. Um, and I don't know what a full spectrum L-theanine extract would look like. Is that, is that like a I mean, protein I guess powder? It would be like a green tea okay, okay. extract. Right. But, um, but most L-theanine I don't think is actually extracted from green tea. I don't think there's enough to make it worthwhile to extract from that biomass. So. Yeah. Who knows? That's interesting though. But also just kind of talking about brain health, I found it interesting. Um, you said that you really launched this company September of 2023, right? Yeah. And you said that you were writing a lot of poetry previously and that you kind of recently started writing more poetry. And I'm just kind of curious how your supplements and being in this entrepreneurial state of mind has kind of helped your creativity and if you've noticed any differences and just like the ways you kind of output your energy and the diversity of things you do with your brain, whether that be painting or poetry or exercise, like how that's kind of changed throughout this process. And then, um, yeah, then we can read some poems if you want to. I'm down. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I've noticed that in taking like my focus and flow product, I am just able to just get more done in a day and like I mean, I do a lot of different things, right? I consult in the cannabis industry. Um, like right now, I have a lot of projects in tissue culture, in um, pre-roll infusion. Um, I have a proprietary process cool. for infusing flour with oil. Um, oh, that, very that works cool. really well so that the material can run through automation. So pre-roll automation. I work with some pre-roll automation manufacturers and their clients. Um, oh, cool. And then, so that's kind of a lot of what my consulting is right now. Um, and then, and also like building business models for people who are in like newer markets that are getting into it. Um, and lab that designs, must be helpful for, you know, you're like, I feel like the, the perfect consultant because, you know, you see a lot of consultants in the industry who might've been in the industry for like a year or two. And you're like, I don't know if like you're able to really help that many of a diverse issues because this industry is always changing. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't be a good consultant right now. Like I definitely have not done half of the stuff that you've done, but like, I feel like with your expertise, it, it's a good time to be a consultant. What are some of the like main issues you're seeing in the industry that consulting is coming up for? Is it things like pre-rolls and just streamlining and being more efficient and being more automated or what else are you seeing? Um, yeah, I think part of it is is just helping companies get dialed in on on making their products and making them well and efficiently. Um, so that's part of it. I think some people are just, you know, they haven't had the time in the lab to, you know, in the facility to know how to do some of these processes and just, you know, having innovative ways of doing things. Yeah. Um, I think I think that one of the most effective things that I do is building business models for people who are looking to get into the industry because um, and again, this kind of comes back to my mentor, who's like a Excel wizard and taught me basically how to do a lot of this stuff. But that cool. I think set me apart in my career was my ability to not only understand the science and, and do the things hands on, but also to be able to translate that into a spreadsheet to model out. OK, well, here's if you buy this equipment, here's what it costs. Here's what the throughput of that equipment. Here's what it can make. 
Here's how much staff it's going to take to run this equipment. Here's what your operating expenses look like, like your electrical and your different uh, consumables. And here's what your uh, you know potential projected income statement could look like, which I learned from having done a consulting gig for a company who was going to be vertically integrated. Um, I built out their, I modeled out their extraction lab essentially, and then worked, they had a, like a financial analyst who was building out the whole pro forma for the whole business. So I, I worked with him on the extraction piece and how that plugged into the whole thing. So I got to see like, oh, well, this is how, you know, in finance, they would set up a projected income statement and all that. So that's awesome. Yeah, that was super cool to to get that insight. And so I was able to then add that to what I was doing. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of people get into this space and this is for all you entrepreneurs out there who want to get into the cannabis industry and want to start a cannabis company. I see a lot of people grossly underestimating the amount of capital they're going to need. Um, and so they get into it and they finally get their facility and they finally get some equipment and they finally get some trained staff. And then it comes to the point where they're still not at revenue, right? You still got to get your processes dialed. You got to make your product. You got to get it packaged and tested. You got to get the sales and get it into stores. So by the time you actually start seeing revenue, I mean, and you may have started spending money, you know, a few years before that to get yeah. your facility, to get your license, to get these things in order, it's going to be a while till you start generating enough revenue to cover your operational expenses. And so a lot, what's happening to a lot of cannabis companies, I've seen this in companies that I've worked for where they didn't plan accordingly. They start running out of money and now everything's getting half-assed. And when mm. you're on the boots on the ground, who's like, Hey, I need these resources or I can't make the stuff. And then that's when you start to run into all these issues. And so, you know, it's uh, really important to understand how much capital you're going to need to get to the point that your revenue can cover your operating expenses. Um, like, I can't stress that enough because I think that is a, one of the biggest mistakes people are making in this industry. Um, and a lot of the time, I think it's because they don't know. They don't know what it's going to really take. And so that's why, you know, people end up coming to someone like me who's been here doing this stuff. And I know how to model these things out. Um, and I think another issue that I see with a lot of companies is a lot of them want to come in and they want to be the biggest player immediately. They want to do all the things. Well, you definitely need to make sure you got enough capital if you're going to try and do all the things. Um, and I think that it's not even just about capital at that point. It becomes, it's even a human resources thing, right? It's like people are trying to do too much and they get spread too thin. And as you know, and most people in the industry know, you end up having to wear a lot of hats especially if you're, you know, in a oh higher level God. positions, you're wearing all the hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like, I, I couldn't believe the amount of like sales and marketing that I've done as a scientist in this industry. I like, I feel like I should have been more prepared for that coming in. Like I, <laughs> I should have taken a business class or something, but it's, I completely agree. It's like, especially if you're at a small company, especially if you're an entrepreneur or you're at a startup, whatever, like you just, you be ready to like be a different role every day. Every single day is so different. Like it's not like a mm -hmm. nine to five where you're doing the same thing every single day. Like you have no idea what you're going to be doing tomorrow. I think that's one of the biggest challenges of this industry is, or just a startup. Well, everything in cannabis is pretty much a startup. And so yeah. <laughs> maybe not so much at this point, you know, some of these companies are a little more established now. It's been a little while, but generally that's what I tell people all the time. I'm like, well, considering that cannabis is pretty much all startups, it's, you know, it's really challenging for that reason. Um, but I wanted to, my biggest piece of advice for people looking to start a cannabis business or get into it is pick one or two products and do them really well. Execute that really well, you know, 
plan budget for what you need to do those things and then worry about adding new different product types or, uh, you know, expanding later. But if you don't just nail a couple product types and have profit from those, like don't even think about moving on to something else. What, you know, unless you just have, you know, daddy Warbucks funding you and you just got fat pockets. But if you don't, I, I highly recommend not trying to do everything all at once. Cause it's going to be, it's a huge challenge, first of all, but it's very capital intensive too. So I think that's fantastic advice. And I think a lot of people would agree with that advice, especially the people who have made that mistake. Because I mean, where where do you see the biggest gap for like new product types or building on previous product types? Like where where do you th- see the most um, growth? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I see rosin. I see rosin products uh, becoming a bigger market segment for sure. I think uh, we're going to start to see more rosin edibles, more rosin vapes, rosin yeah. infused pre-rolls. I think people are starting to get away from distillate. Again, it has its place as a tool, right? Good, maybe a Absolutely. daytime vape. But I think in general, people are realizing that you're going to get a better effect with a full spectrum and a higher quality uh, extract in your products. So I see that, I think that's going to become, you know, much more prevalent. Um, and we kind of, we've kind of seen that in like older markets, you know, where rosin starts to take hold and grow and then newer markets, it's not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, cost is kind of prohibitive too, because you know, your yields are lower generally. And um, so that kind of plays a, plays a part in that. But um, I see that, I see opportunity for some new edibles and different drink types. Like I think uh, gummies are played out. Like everybody's doing gummies. And I I've, agree. I've... And I think drinks are like, I think they're a big part. I mean, I think the price needs to come down on drinks <clears throat> to make them more um, accessible. But in general, like I always say this, like if you're at a party, like it's fun to hold a drink and to mm-hmm. drink something like, and we're, we're, we're really seeing this decrease in alcohol sales, but people still want to hang out. People still want to be doing something. Smoking is great. You can do that as a group, but oftentimes like, you just want something in your hand to drink. And that's where cannabis drinks, even like even CBD drinks or even like balanced drinks. I like the balanced ones. Five megs THC, five megs CBD. Mm-hmm. That's a nice drink. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, on that. I, I, I prefer the the multi-cannabinoid, yeah, the CBD THC blends on those, like the can, yeah. can drinks are good. They are um, good. But yeah, I think, and I think too, like edible products that have other functional ingredients, like adaptogens, right? I think that's, you know, and I've seen some brands, like I think it's out of Colorado, they've done like some chocolates that had different functional ingredients, like caffeine and um, yep. I kind of remember some of the other stuff they put in theirs, but I, I remember that. Be, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if they're still around or not. Um, I haven't been keeping, keeping tabs on the Colorado market since I moved, but. I don't know that either. I know they had some sort of, um, some issue with one of their ingredients, like causing, it was either like causing some adverse, it was causing some adverse effect. And I think they had to, because oh. yeah, that was like some sort of like traditional Chinese uh, herb. I think it was their aphrodisiac one, right? They had like an aphrodisiac chocolate. I think it was. It might've been, yeah. yeah. Well, you gotta be careful I, with that. You gotta. I was just gonna <laughs> you know. say, you gotta be careful. That's tough, yeah. But yeah, I see, I see that opening up. I mean, you know, we really, We've seen, you know, pre-rolls, obviously flowers, you know, biggest market segment, pretty much every market and then, you know, pre-rolls and vapes. So I think, I think convenience is what sells for a lot of people too. I think people, people like the convenience factor. They like to be able to just, Hey, I'm going to grab this product and I can walk outside and use it right now. You know, don't have to roll a joint, don't have to break down the flower. 
Um, but I think, I think consumers are starting to become more educated on the difference in quality and different types of concentrates and what makes a good cannabis product. So, yeah. so I see, I see that shifting. Cool. I think so too. Um, let's finish off with just talking about creativity one more time, yeah. just cause I'm just big on creativity. Like I think the best way to like help your brain kind of, this kind of goes into like resiliency too. It's like, if you have trouble problem solving or like when I was writing my dissertation, I had this like terrible like writer's block. And my way of like getting around that is working with my brain in different ways. So like Mm -hmm. specifically being more creative, if I'm like only doing science 24 seven, I'm, I'm not a good scientist because I'm not thinking creative. So I think of it as kind of training the different parts of your brain, which is why I'm always like setting aside time to be creative. Um, whether that's writing poetry, whether that's painting, you know, whether, whatever it is crafting in any way, like I love doing it. So again, like that's something that really attracted me to you as like a person to have on the podcast because poetry is so special it's such a special way of getting your thoughts out and I follow your poetry um Instagram and I saw one about like cigarettes and like nicotine smoking and I thought that was so cool about just like it's not something that people would think to write a poem about but it was like really beautiful because I felt that way too (laughs) of just like wanting to smoke because it's like rebellious and cool and like your body doesn't want you to smoke, but you do want to smoke. And it's such a weird, (laughs) it's such a weird relationship. And I'm like, that's really cool. Like, I'm glad you put that out there. Um, I love that you appreciated that too. Sweet. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Because I, I always say like, I have never actually smoked a cigarette because I know I'm going to love it. And I, can't do that. Um, So I like resonated with that hard. It's like, I really want to smoke a cigarette, but I shouldn't. Right. Well, that's that's kind of where the inspiration came from. I was in a mood, I guess, or whatever. And uh, I don't really smoke cigarettes, but, you know, maybe the occasional one. But I was like, I'm craving one, but not because of the nicotine, you know, it was like that other feeling, you know. Well, right. And I feel like with poetry, some people think you like have to write about like your journey to finding yourself and what it's like you can write about anything i like totally. anything, anything. people always think it's like it's always about like love or whatever and it's like no, no i mean I, my poems are really inspired by nature and like existence i guess I you know and, like kind of being caught up in the rat race and just like like what you know what are we doing like modern society and just kind of the where we're at with things. And like, I wrote one about trying to grow my social media followings on my business pages and how frustrated I've been with it. And, um, so it's a, I'm, it's a great way I'll to get that out. One. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great way to like get out feelings. And I think it's also for me, like I write haikus on my website, as I was saying, like every, almost every day I'm like writing a haiku and haikus traditionally are about nature and haikus Mm -hmm. are these poems that are five syllables, then seven syllables, then five syllables. So um, for me, it's a good practice and just like also appreciating nature and like consciously thinking about things that I love about nature and that I appreciate and that I want to continue to see in nature. So it's a good process for me personally and getting my brain in that state of like the work that I'm doing is really for this plant, for the cannabis plant, for other natural products, for people who need natural products. Like nature is the connecting thing among all of us. So it's a good like brain exercise for me to start my day that way and get me in the right place to continue working and, and doing all this. So I will read one of my haikus that I wrote this morning. And Sweet. then if you, 
if you want to read a poem, you can. And if not, um, we can just link your uh, poetry page and people can read it on their own. No, I'm whichever down. I'll, do, I'll do a live reading. Let's go. Cool. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> okay. Okay. So mine today says, oh, wait, let me tell you the basis of this one first. So last night, um, obviously it gets dark very early in the wintertime. So my husband and I were going for this nighttime walk at like 7 p.m. And it was super bright out because of the moon and it was just beautiful. The snow was reflecting the light. So you didn't even need a headlamp. It was just like That's a really awesome. cool night walk. So this one's inspired by night. <clears throat> nighttime. Lights are off. The predators come alive, fueled by the full moon. Yes. I love that. And I, I, that, that takes you to that place of like, yeah, the moon just re reflecting off everything and everything being bright. I live in the desert of California. So you want to talk about creatures coming out at night? This oh is the man, spot. <laughs> I bet that's crazy. This is the spot for that, for sure. Um, I wanted to say something. So one of my favorite YouTube channels uh, in hindsight, I don't know if you've heard of him. No, he, um, is awesome. You should definitely check it out. But one of the things he says that really resonated with me is that, uh, self-expression is the highest form of nutrition, right? Ooh, so it's, right? doesn't that hit? Love <laughs> that, love that. So that, and then like, uh, I've kind of been trying to, I guess, come back to my creativity in the last year. Um, I heard, I can't remember who it was, but I heard a talk about this woman was saying some, you know, some clip on Instagram or something, but she was talking about how, like, that's kind of why we're here is to create, you know? And I was thinking about it, like, yeah. What else is there to do? And like to be successful in life, you have to create like, you know, like you either have to create something that you're, you know, doing for people like a service or a product or art or something. Right. But like, you know, we should be creating things. So and we've and we've taken so much of that away, not to be the person who's like in a capitalistic society, but like and a capitalistic society, yeah. like a lot of the times, you know, a lot of people will wake up, get ready for work, go to work, come home, get ready for bed, go to bed. Like that's all they do. And it's like, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think that creativity comes subconsciously and it's something that's like, ooh, feeling the vibe to paint, stop everything, go paint. It's like, no, you need to like consciously incorporate creativity into your day and practice that and like treat it as part of a routine that is beneficial for your health and for your brain. You can't just like wait for that spark to come. And of course, we're going to have ebbs and flows of creativity where sometimes it's very easy to find that creative flow and sometimes it's really difficult. But if you're never trying, you're you're never going to be able to create that. So like just finding that brain space and like really holding space for yourself to practice that is so important. You have to do it consciously. Like you have to dedicate time for it even if it involves putting it in your calendar be creative whatever that means yeah, like, sch schedule that creativity if you sure. have to do it that way like whatever it takes like be creative i agree it's the role of humans to be creative well and i like what you said about it making you a better scientist because i think a lot of times people look at like science and math as this very like left-brained like stringent uh, yeah black or white type of thing but it's like I mean, being a scientist, you have to be creative, right? How else are you supposed to innovate? How else are you supposed to, you know, test different hypotheses and come up with different, you know, ways of thinking about what could be or what what you should study or research, right? So I think creativity is a huge aspect of it. Absolutely. And honestly, like if you look at the the great scientists like ever, 
they oftentimes were musicians or they were painters. And oftentimes they love psychedelics and cannabis because it does open your brain in unique ways. And it does connect your neurons and builds these new pathways that can really help you solve problems in unique ways, especially when you're together, when you're di with these different scientists and you have these different expertises and you're opening this super safe dialogue and you can say whatever you want, like you never know what's going to happen there. But, you know, having multiple outlets for creativity with the right people too, or by yourself, like it's so, so impactful for being good scientists, for being a good engineer, for being a good mother, like whatever it is, there's, there's so many benefits for practicing, just expanding your brain in these different ways. Yeah. Working, working different neural networks in there. Exactly. You know? All right. I'm going to, exactly. I'm going to read one for you. Let's see. Let me pull one up. Cool. I think I'll read the cigarette one since you brought it up. That's a, that's a I like one. that one a lot. <laughs> All right. Um, I kind of want a cigarette. That's the title, but also the first line. I kind of want a cigarette, not because I actually want to inhale tobacco smoke or feel nicotine tickle my brain, but rather I crave the intangible symbolism of smoking a cigarette, the rebellious nature, James Dean disillusion, the lack of giving a fuck, the acceptance of impermanence, the destruction of something beautiful for a short-lived lust. Thanks for that. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm that glad you appreciated cool. that one. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Cool. That's, well, that's kind of thing about putting the poetry out there, you know, is like you kind of there's some vulnerability to it. Right. You got to be like, you know, what are people going to think? Or actually you have to think, uh, who gives a fuck what anybody thinks. But <laughs> and, and I like that you have a page dedicated to it. It's really cool. And um, just for any listeners, if you ever want to anonymously or non-anonymously submit a haiku or any other form of poetry and you want me to put it on the website so other people can enjoy, feel free to email that over. I'll put everything in the show notes for that. But I support all the poets out there. It's not easy to put yourself out there, but it's so fun to write poetry in whatever form of expression you choose. I support you, but is it there runs a in my blood or something? My um, I just found out over Christmas that my grandma's aunt wrote poetry and had some some published po poetry books. And then apparently on my mom's side of the family, this has come up in genealogy tests a few times that we're descendants of Shakespeare. So shut up. That's I, dude, I'm crazy. not even kidding. And I'm like, oh, well, that <laughs> makes sense why crazy. I've always liked poetry. But and I told her, I was like, well, find out what genealogy test that was. Cause like I want to I want to try it. But but it came up like once, like she brought it up like a couple years ago. And then I brought it up over Christmas. And my mom was like, Oh yeah, that's happened a few more times with some of my other cousins or something. And I was like, What? Dude, <laughs> toss that in your bio. Descendant. <laughs> <laughs> I got to verify for myself first, but like, that's apparently the word on the street. So <laughs> rumor has it. That's yeah. wild. According that to my wild. mom. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I mean, so I guess last thing is like, I know you mentioned it before, but one more time, how do people find your products and how do people find you or want to contact you? Or if you want people to not contact you, don't drop your contact, but anything no, to totally. help people uh, get in touch with you. Yeah, reach out. Um, so for my supplements, Flow State Naturals, you can find me on Instagram at Flow State Naturals, uh, flowstatenaturals.com. Uh, you can purchase the supplements there. Um, in terms of consulting work, I do have an Instagram called Strategic Leaf, but you know, as Instagram is kind of difficult to work with with cannabis, I'm not super active on there, but you can reach me there. 
um, or you can email me at chase at strategicleaf.com. Um, yeah. And then uh, my poetry page is word of the wild. Um, I have too many Instagrams, but, yeah, <laughs> but I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing too many things and I just felt like they needed to be separate. But um, but yeah, word of the wild is the poetry. So you can follow me there. Um, but yeah, you can DM me on any of those. I will see those messages and can get back to you there. So um, but yeah, chase at strategicleaf.com for consulting. That's going to be the best option uh, to reach me for that. Cool. Well, Chase, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I feel like I learned so much from you and like really genuinely enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'd love to uh, maybe do it again sometime. We'll do a second episode and we could dive deeper into some other topics. So cool. That sounds awesome. Mad love. Thank you for listening. And also there's another secret giveaway going on right now. If you made it this far into the episode. So the giveaway is for the new raw ethereal papers, which are the thinnest papers ever. They're amazing. They're a little bit difficult to roll with because they're so thin. But if you are good at rolling and you enjoy the art of smoking, you are going to love these papers. So they're not available yet, but they will be in 2024. And for this giveaway, if you want to enter, it will be on Instagram. And I'm going to post a picture of the papers on my story. And all you need to do to enter to win is to respond to that story with the words emergency mayo like mayonnaise emergency mayo so the first person to respond to the story with emergency mayo i will send those papers to and this will be posted on january 12th 2024 so if this is like 2027 and you're listening to this it's probably too late to get the papers but they should be pretty available by then <laughs> anyway thanks for listening and we'll see you next week <laughs>